We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who love America. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week as I introduce you to a hero, a freedom fighter, a veteran, a warrior, an immigrant, and other inspiring Americans living their American dreams with one common thread. They love America. In this podcast, we talk about the hard things, emotional and physical scars, PTSD, real challenges, and how they not only weathered the storms, but rose above the clouds to become stronger and better. Be assured, we laugh too. What is life without a bit of humor? These stories confirm what our founding fathers believed. America is truly a special place for a special people, and you are part of this great story. We the people, our American story is your podcast. Find yourself in this space every week, a place where American values are cherished and treasured, a place where we celebrate each other, a place you belong. This season, I am honored to collaborate with Operation Enduring Warrior to bring you the stories of their honorees. Operation Enduring Warrior's mission is to honor, empower, and motivate our nation's wounded military and law enforcement veterans through programs ranging from skydiving, public speaking, archery, endurance races, and much more. Our honorees overcome adversity and hardship through innovation, teamwork, and perseverance. Together, our team, our honorees, and our supporters are our OEW family. Operation Enduring Warrior, honoring their sacrifice. For more information, visit EnduringWarrior.org. On May 7, 2016, Officer Jeremy Scarlow was involved in an officer-involved shooting. After his physical injuries healed, he found himself fighting a new battle. PTSD. He now works diligently to spread awareness for PTSD in the first responder community. Jeremy Scarlow is a public speaker, advocate for military and law enforcement veterans, and author of the book My Brother's Keeper, Relearning to Live with PTSD. He served as a patrol officer for Muhammad Police Department for 10 years, nine of those as a Metro SWAT member until he medically retired after his on-duty shooting incident. Jeremy completed his Master of Arts in Legal Studies at the University of Illinois at Springfield. In addition to advocating for post-traumatic stress disorder and suicide awareness in the law enforcement community, he is currently an honoree with Operation Enduring Warrior and serves as the program manager for their Warrior Voice program. This is Jeremy's American Story. Welcome to season four of We the People, Our American Story podcast. I have an incredible journey to share with you today. My first guest is Jeremy Charlot. Jeremy, welcome. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. You are welcome. I'm happy to have you here. And we are actually recording this the week after New Year. So I can say Happy New Year's, Jeremy. Yes, it's 2022. We made I know. it. Let's hope it's a better year than 2021, right? <laughs> or 2020 for that matter. Or 2020, <laughs> that's for sure. I want to give the listeners a little background on how I came across Jeremy. I met Jeremy through a fabulous organization called United We March. Justin, who is a previous guest on a podcast episode, does an event called the Gunnison Gut Race or Gut Check, excuse me, the Gunnison yep. Gut Check. And what this is, is once a year, Justin hosts a ruck race, which before United We March, I had no clue even what a ruck race was. <laughs> I learned all about that. And Justin is the one who puts on this event. One of the people that I met at this event is Jeremy. And Jeremy is with an organization called OEW. I'm not going to go into detail on OEW because I want him to share this as part of his story, but it is a miraculous organization, in my opinion, because of the work they do and the people they help with our heroes, our first responders, our veterans. I am really excited this season to feature people from OEW, and Jeremy is going to start that off for us. 
Jeremy, can you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to OEW? You can reveal as much or as little as you care to. Yeah, absolutely. I was a police officer for about 13 years total, about uh, 10 and a half years into my career. Uh, May 7th, 2016, I was ambushed and shot on a traffic stop. Um, the details of it, uh, I don't know that we necessarily need to go into too deep, but uh, I survived the shooting. And from that, um, I developed some, some pretty, pretty dark emotional and, and psychological issues turning into PTSD. Through my healing processes, I, you know, I, I started speaking out about post-traumatic stress disorder within the law enforcement communities. I started writing, I started doing podcasts like these, and just talking about PTSD within the law enforcement field. In doing so, Operation Enduring Warrior found me. I call him the Chris's, CJ and uh, Chris J Jacobson. He's our, uh, I think he's the VP, uh, the ex-VP currently, I'm sorry. Uh, he'll probably yell at me for screwing up his title. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Jacobson, the XPP, and then Chris Thorpe. I don't know what his status is with the organization currently, but one of the people who helped found Task Force Sentinel. For people who don't know what Operation Enduring Warrior is, it's a, it's a veteran-founded not-for-profit that its aim is to kind of help veterans, police officers, and now firefighters, who just expanded into firefighters, to kind of find that brotherhood, that camaraderie, and that purpose that so many of us feel we lose when we leave our, our respective fields, either through retirement or through injury. Uh, injury, in my case, led to my retirement. By my speaking out, Operation Enduring Warrior found me, and they kind of tricked me because most of us are kind of hard-headed and we don't want to, you know, we don't really want to ask for help. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have is so many people don't want to ask for help. And Chris has reached out to me and they kind of talked me talked to me like they were looking for me to help them. And, and they kind of posed it to me like, hey, you would be out here helping these other vets, et cetera, et cetera. You'd help these other police officers. And, you know, at the time we weren't talking about firefighters yet. They, they're, they're a new addition to our crew. Uh, we had to get the bylaws changed in order to make that happen. But uh, our board and, and their wisdom did that very, very quickly uh, to include those brothers as well. And sisters, I'm sorry, I don't want, I want to be inclusive. They reached out to me and they're like, okay, we want you to help. We want you to become an honoree. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You just did a little switcheroo thing on me. What, what do you mean an honoree? Well, their honorees are individuals who've been wounded in the line of duty or in their career field as a veteran or within the fire services who need their services. You know, that's emotional, uh, physical, and mental health rehabilitation through physical activity. We take these guys out. So back, let me back up before I, before I tell you how I got involved uh, as, a as a team member. They brought me on as an honoree. Um, the first place they took me to is Kettawa, Kentucky. I think it was called a warrior, a warrior dash, I think it was a warrior challenge. And so I didn't know what to think of these guys. You know, I, I knew these guys wanted to make sure that I could do whatever I needed to do in order to uh, push me forward and show me that my injuries weren't limiting me. Just to tell you a little bit about my injury, I, I was shot in the arm. The, the bullet went in my elbow and out my forearm. So I, I have limited mobility in my right wrist and, and pain. Um, and a lack of grip strength, that kind of thing. And it fatigues really quickly. So, you know, I, there was a lot of things I didn't think I was going to be able to do on these obstacle courses. And when I got there, a group of four guys, five guys, all in gas masks, takes me out on these courses. There was no such thing as failing. I mean, the failing wasn't an option. If you started an obstacle that you weren't sure that you were going to be able to get through, the guys in the masks would step up and you couldn't tell who they were. That's the point of the mask is their anonymity. You know, you couldn't tell who they were. They have call signs on, but call signs just are there to remind you that these are your brothers who are going to make sure that they're there for you. They're, they're things like uh, steadfast and courage and candor. And these are the types of, you know, these are the types of names you're seeing while you're, you, these people are ensuring that you will not fail an obstacle course. And then you get through these things that you never thought you could do and you're just elated. You, you feel like you're part of a team again because of the teamwork needed to make it through these events. You feel just like there's this brotherhood that is returned that I was missing. And so that's what I felt after my first event, but then it didn't stop there. Um, so these guys, they, they didn't just show up one day, you know, take me out on this course, you know, and get me through this. I started receiving phone calls from almost all of them weekly, 
you know, checking up on me, seeing how I'm doing, text messages, two o'clock in the morning, if I had a call, if I had something I wanted to talk about, I, these guys would answer the phone. A few months after that, they took me to another race and then another race. And I, I ended up doing five races total uh, across the country. One in I didn't went to a barbecue in Houston with them. I did a couple Spartan races with them. I've done Warx with them, which is out of Thurman, Ohio. One of the best races in the, I'd, I'd say in the world. I would love to go to that. I think Sean may have mentioned that to me. I really want yeah. to go to that. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing place. Uh, over 60 obstacles. I want to say it's like between 10 and 12 miles. Um, they do a trilogy race. But all of these races, uh, you know, all of these events are, we, we take the, the honorees, go through them in order to show them that they're part of a team, that they can do anything they want to do. And we don't just stop with the races. So in addition to that, they've all, they offered me access to other programs. Uh, a Warrior's Voice is their speaking program. That's how I got involved with you, uh, and, you know, and that's how I, I got sent to Gunnison was as part of Warrior's Voice to make sure that Josh was there speaking and, and, and was able to tell his story. Josh Rainey is one of our honorees as well. It, it's just every step of the way, we, I saw this organization just put their money where their mouth is. They say we're going to show up, they show up. Then two days later, you're getting a phone call saying, you know, just checking up on you. Then three days later, they're checking up on you again. You know, this, this was my experience as an honorary. That made me want to give back. They showed me that there's purpose in helping others. And when you find your purpose, it makes a lot of the other things kind of more trivial, less important, you know, um, and not that they are less important, but when you have focus on, on a goal, you have something to work forward to, you have something to accomplish. And and then when you're helping others, you're, you're helping yourself. There, there's, you know, there's chemical reactions that are taking place that are releasing the correct hormones in order to regulate yourself just by helping other people, that happiness. It creates a cycle in which you just want to continue. I mean, I think that's what's got Justin going with the United We March. I think it's probably the same reason you're doing what you're doing with your podcast. You know, you, you realize that you're helping yourself while you're helping all these other people. Everyone that I speak to through this podcast is absolutely phenomenal. And I get such a high after I speak to all of you. I'm on a natural high all day. And it is such, at least it seems to me to be such a tight knit community. And it has been so interesting to me how they all cross over, whether it be Ian, Ian Newland, who I hear is just an absolute beast on the course, whatever course yeah. he's on. He is, he is crazy fast. So uh, I actually just got an email the other day. There's a ultra coming up An ultra is a 50 K and that's going to be in Southern California. And somebody put my name in the hat for that. So I was terrified. I was going to have to go out and try to keep up with Ian Newland <laughs> at a 31 mile Spartan race. And I'm like, Oh my God, I better start running now. I don't know that I can keep up with that. And I man. think his wife is doing it with him as well. Crystal. I've not met either of them, actually. Oh, my gosh. Yes, she is. If you follow them on Facebook, she is right along with them in the workouts. And she I follow her on Facebook and she had mentioned something about how excited how excited they were because that's coming up. But, you know, Jeremy, if I can just back up a little bit, I think what you're doing, OEW, is it's showing these heroes, these warriors that they may have been injured they may have had a setback but they're not broken isn't that the whole thing they're not broken they're still capable of so much and I don't know if this was you or not but um when my husband and I left Gunnison which was I think Jeremy can attest the weather there was crazy (laughs) There's hurricanes. And <laughs> it was crazy. We were under a tent and our tent got blown over. It was crazy. But we left that day. And as we were leaving that day and we got out of town, oh my goodness, out in the distance, I don't know if you were with who it was, but out in the distance, I saw a couple of gas masks running with an honoree. And they waved at us. And I don't know if that was you because we waved at you. We were in a white car and we were on this just lonely stretch of highway because it is out in the middle of nowhere where they do this. And just the sight of those gas mask people 
with the honoree, it just, it melted my heart. It really did. It's a, it's a special thing to witness. And even Justin in his episode talks about uh, Adam Francis, who's coming on my podcast. Mm-hmm. I will be talking to him in a few weeks. And I don't know if you have, you mentioned that you were listening to Justin's podcast. If you have come to the part yet where Justin talks about Francis is what he calls him. Francis being there and, ha- and helping uh, Matt, helping Matt Bradford. And that was one of the few times that Justin became emotional in his podcast episode, talking about the great care that OEW has for their honorees and how Matt Bradford was in such a good place and was so well protected by those from OEW who were sent to make sure that he was okay. What did Justin say? They were making sure that um, Matt's stumps were rested. <laughs> yeah, Matt, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, I wasn't there with Matt. I think that would have been, what, two years ago? Then? Uh, yes, I was so mad because he was yep. thinking about coming this year and he did it. And I was hoping I want to meet him. He has been a great friend of the podcast. He has referred, I think, three or four people to this podcast. He's amazing. Did he tell you the story about the bear on the mountain? No. Ask him about the bear on the mountain. That's his story, so I won't tell it. But okay, yeah, it involved a bear and a bunch of people saying, "Oh, there's a bear," and you know, with him being blind and having no legs, he was like, "Where's the bear?" So he, I guarantee you, he'll he'll tell the story much better. Oh my gosh, he just brings you in with that slight Kentucky drawl of his, mm-hmm. and he yep. he keeps you there because he's one of the most amazing people anyone would ever meet. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Very good guy. Very good guy. And, you know, we, we've brought on a couple more honorees since then. Uh, Jesse Hartnett is now one of our honorees. Uh, he was a Philadelphia police officer who was who was shot in the line of duty. Matthew Schoolfield, uh, he was a uh, Oklahoma police officer who was shot, shot during a search warrant. He was recently honored uh, by Blue Help at uh, Las Vegas. And we were able to arrange for Matthew to get there with his wife in order to receive the award, which was amazing. And he was able to sit through a conference for three days with other people sharing their stories with uh, some support groups, things of that nature, you know, and it helped both him and his wife get more information about what they may be dealing with over the next few years. What has OEW done for you? How has it changed you? It's given me a purpose. Um, going back to what I was talking before, I, I wake up and, you know, I now, I started out as an honoree with the organization. When I became an honoree, I also became what they call an OCA, which is their volunteers. Um, and as part of that, I was able to, you know, kind of go out and spread the message about OEW and what they're doing as an honoree. I'm able to say this is, you know, they they brought me into this team, you know, I found my family, kind of found my tribe, people of like mind who've experienced similar situations who I can really connect to and relate with. I'm going to say the same thing that um, Sean said. It, it's a safe space. It, it really is. You know, I hate using the term safe space, but it, it, it's not safe in that we're going to rip on each other and everything because, I mean, that's part of what we're all used to and what we're, you know, what the camaraderie. But at any time, I know that I can put my complete faith and trust in any of the guys within a, within Operation Enduring Warrior, guys or girls. When I say guys, I'm referring to everyone they're going to pull, they're going to help pull me through. So in my darkest moments, when, you know, when I was considering suicide, things of that nature, you're in this abyss, you're, you're in a dark, dark hole. And it wasn't for me, at least so much that I wanted to die as much as I didn't want to hurt anymore. And that seems to be a very common thread. And when I was able to share that message with the guys within Operation Enduring Warrior, I found out it was such a common theme, a common thread to these guys' stories. And we could all relate and we could all understand. And it it wasn't sitting there telling a story anymore with somebody who was, you know, judging you and thinking, oh my God, you know, here we go again. This person's crazy. This person's weak. You're really talking to somebody who, who'd been there, who'd done that, who has the badge, who has the, has the uniform, has walked it, talked it, lived it. And has somehow found a way to persevere through it anyway. And they're trying to share that with their honorees. So in seeing that, it made me strive to want to be part of this organization far further than just an honoree. You know, I say just an honoree and 
it's the exact opposite. The entire organization set up for the honorees, but I felt so strongly about what it was doing. I, I, I couldn't take from this organization without giving back uh, as best I could. So I, uh, I came on as a Warriors Voice program manager um, and uh, I've been working with the organization now for since what, 2018. Jeremy, you mentioned this pain. Can you elaborate, like, what is this pain? So the pain, some of the pains that I, I've dealt with, you know, the, the darkness, the depression, um, mine started for me after my shooting, you know, I, I went into some really dark holes. Um, I started questioning why I was having problems where other officers weren't, uh, you know, as things went on, other, other problems came in, you know, there were some problems with the department, lack of support in terms of uh, getting my pension ran through. I ended up getting fired by my department because they weren't able to work out with the doctors a timeline in which you know they could keep me employed, and I ended up winning my pension. They reinstated me, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff that they had to do in order, and, and I eventually won. But that took years, and so here I was living through these these horrific nightmares, anxiety, depression, you know, panic attacks, um, hypervigilance, anger, so much anger. I started really self-medicating with alcohol. And it's a very common theme. Guys feel these types of issues and they go down these dark, dark holes. And unfortunately, too many of them end in a bottle. And then when they end in a bottle, they, they unfortunately go even farther. And, and a lot of them end in suicide. And that's the main thing we're trying to prevent here. There's, we don't want to lose any more of our brothers and sisters. Last year alone, uh, in 2021, we lost over 150 police officers to suicide. In 2020, we lost over 170. In 2019, we lost 239. In 2018, according to the VA, we lost 6,261 vets to suicide. You know, our firefighters, brothers and sisters, their trends are only mirroring. They're, they're seeing the same things we are. They're dealing with the trauma. They're seeing the children hurt. And too often, they feel alone. It, like there, there's nobody else who understands. And then, you know, you got these people that pound their chest and think they're Billy really bad at, pardon my language. They're, they're they think they're... This is a PG-13 show. <laughs> okay. With Ray, I apologize. With, with Ray Care, it was a rated R show. I don't know if you've listened to this episode. <laughs> I haven't gotten I, that far yet. I just no. let him go because that was him. I had a conversation with Leslie Zimmerman. Do you know who Julia Carlson is? She was down at Gunnison Gut Check. I believe I met her. Yes. Okay. Uh, their family. I, I don't know her personally. I'm okay. Sorry. But you know, you know of her, but anyway, their family is very patriotic and they have served. Many of the siblings have served and Leslie is Julia's sister and Leslie was in the army. She suffered severe PTS and you mentioned why can't I get over this? And that was a huge thing mm-hmm. for her. She was suicidal. And I believe she was hospitalized twice. And her big thing is, I'm a soldier. Why can't I get over this? I'm, I'm a tough soldier. I should be able to get over this. What's wrong with me? So you feel mm-hmm. guilty about feeling bad. You're feeling bad about oh, yeah. feeling bad. That's what my husband will always say. Don't feel bad about feeling bad. But that's exactly the case here with a lot of these veterans, yep. right? They feel bad about feeling bad. There's the guilt about feeling bad. And, and yes, absolutely. And then it becomes cyclical. And, and that's where I say they fall into the abyss. You know, that's what I call it, the abyss. And then, and that's just darkness. And without any light in your darkness, you're just wandering. And when you're wandering like that, it's very dangerous. That's, in my opinion, that's where the suicides are occurring is when somebody has found that level of despair. And what OEW did for me, they shined a beacon in the middle of that darkness. When I was at some of my lowest points, OEW was there to say, hey, you know, we don't have all the answers. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But look at these other guys who have done exactly what you have done, felt exactly how you have felt, and they're still here today. We'll be sending you some of the honorees and some of the team members. Some of the stories you're going to hear are, are just some of the most amazing examples of self-sacrifice that you're ever going to hear. And then when you find yourself surrounded with those individuals and they are telling you that they felt the same things that you felt. It just, it's unreal how much, how much it helps to know that you're not alone. And and it's more than just knowing because you can see it, you can feel it. It's, it's, it's there. It's palatable. That's, that's really what OAW did for me. It, It became that, 
that light, you know, I, it, it gave me kind of that North star to always strive towards. If, as long as I'm striving to help vets, to help police officers, to help firefighters, I know I'm on the right track. And just having that knowledge allows me to sometimes just to get up every morning because, you know, in order to do some of these events, you got to be pretty, pretty well in shape. So <laughs> I'm at the gym, you know, every day in order to try to keep up with some of these guys. Like How much harder is it to do these with a the gas mask? That adds a whole other element. Is it hard to breathe under there? How does that work? <laughs> So the gas masks, uh, the team members do report that it, it is very difficult. The team members are supposed to remain anonymous, but um, they do report that it cuts down breathing by about by about 30%. So yeah, <laughs> they train on them. There's a, there's a whole process to become a masked athlete with the team to help these honorees. Um, it's not just say, hey, I want a mask and you come out and do it. There's a process, an application process. Then they kind of run you through the gamut. You know, you have to attend a couple events. You have to shadow a couple times. And then they, they send you through what's called INDOC. I think Sean mentioned that as well. And it's, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know any other way to say it. It's, it's, it's a hell week. You don't know how long it's going to be. It's anywhere from 24 to 48 hours of them just doing whatever they can based off some of the, the Q course type standards in the military, but it's, it's very, very team oriented and very designed to uh, make you want to quit. And even if you make it through this whole process, there's no guarantee that, you know, in the process, they may see some things that they don't think will make you a good teammate. The board may not vote to bring you on as a masked athlete, even after you do all of that work. So it, it, it's a calling in, you know, currently, I believe the team has right around 20 masked athletes across the country. They're always looking for more. So please, if you're interested in, you know, going out and doing some of this crazy stuff, supporting these vets and come find us and sign up, we, we, we need the help. <laughs> I'll support in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. You can put a mask. You can come out and do oh it, right? Gosh. You have to have an awesome set of lungs for that, don't you? <laughs> Goodness. I, yeah, <laughs> they, they try. It's hurting me just thinking about it. Have you noticed in the past few years, is it harder for our first responders right now? I absolutely think so. I absolutely think so, especially with the pandemic and the way it's been built, you know, for the first year, they were heroes for, you know, fighting without the vaccines and whatnot. And I'm not going to get into for vaccine or anti-vax or any of that kind of stuff. That's not, you know, controversy spells, Jeremy. I'm kidding. No, we yeah. won't. <laughs> <laughs> but re regardless, you know, you had all of these first responders and, you know, we conclude nursing, EMTs and of course your firefighters. They were called heroes through most of the pandemic, and now all of a sudden they're getting fired for their religious exemptions or their, their lack of beliefs. And, and now I just read a report recently, um, actually today, I think I shared it even, they're now allowing, and uh, I, I don't remember where, but they're now allowing uh, COVID positive hospital staff to work because of staffing shortages. God, how does that make sense? I, so you, they're heroes, then you fire them. Now you're telling them to work while they're sick. Because of the mess they've gotten into. Right. So again, that, that's my personal opinion. That doesn't represent anybody within the organization. I, I do think that it's gotten harder because I think a lot of people are seeing some hypocrisy in these things. You know, how can I be a hero in one minute, yet disposable the next? We have a bunch of self-entitled people who don't realize that the helpers and the first responders, the police officers, the firefighters out there risking themselves, they're, they're undervalued by our society in general. We've already talked about a few people with OEW. Are there any that, I don't want you to not so much single out, but a few people that have really been an example to you or that has made a huge difference for you with OEW? Everybody I've met within the organization has been amazing. There's no single person, I would say, who, you know, this organization isn't about one person. Um, I've made some friends that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. There's no doubt about that. One of the other honorees, uh, his name is Josh Rainey. He'll probably do one of these podcasts with you. At I would love I that. Him into it. Uh, he is an Iraq vet and uh, he, he lives down in uh, Tennessee, I think. His brother is a law enforcement officer. And because of the continued struggle we've seen, in the policing. He's organized four or five rucks now, hundreds of miles to honor a fallen officer. His work has really touched me. Um, in addition to that, he wrote up a, uh, a memorandum, I guess, for lack of a better term, and, and had me put in for an award with the VA 
and um, he ended up getting me a, a national valor honor award from uh, the VA uh, life-saving award. This is going to sound dumb and I, I after I got shot in line of duty, my department didn't do anything for me. And not so much as a purple heart or anything of that nature. They didn't, nothing. I was in the newspaper a few times and my department kind of just cut me loose. That was the only award I've received for my gun battle and, and surviving and, and, and doing what happened. And at the time, I didn't really think much of it, but the more I thought about it and after I received the award and after I read what Josh wrote and it just amazed me about how big this dude's heart was and how he really just wants to help his brothers and sisters in law enforcement and his vets. So he's definitely one that's really, really touched me. He's an honoree. He's not one of the team members. As far as the team members, you know, there's, there's the mass athlete team, which I explained a little bit about They're the guys that help. I would say, you know, I, I can't specifically ID any of them, but, uh, you're, you're going to have one of them on your show. Uh, he knows who he is. I've told him directly. One of the, the masked athletes in general are amazing human beings, but, you know, people connect sometimes. And I, the, the brotherhood that I found within the Matt team and these individuals specifically, it's, it's unparalleled. You know, I, I've said in past podcasts that I've done in past writings, you know, I, I didn't believe that I, I'd given up on the belief that the thin blue line existed. You know, and the people talk about the thin blue line being the support for our police officers. And Operation Enduring Warrior showed me that it existed, just not in the way I thought it. Help is out there, but it, it wasn't going to be coming from my department the way I would hope. And so that's part of what my outreach and stuff has been trying to do, get some of those things changed, try to change the mindset. I've worked with a couple of different people to try to help get some law changed. I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to do much of the legwork on that. But, um, you know, a couple other people have, and it's been amazing to see, you know, what we're able to do when we work together. Are there misunderstandings? Well, two things. Are there misunderstandings that we have about our veterans, about our first responders? And two, why is it important to tell these stories? Why is it important for Americans to hear these stories? I think it goes back to the value that we, um, we, we place on our veterans and our first responders, police officers, firefighters, EMS. We want them there when we need them. Otherwise, we don't want to see them. You don't want the cops unless you want the cops. If the cops are pulling you over, they're bad. If they're pulling over, you know, the reckless driver that runs down your road every day when you have your kids outside playing, then they're good. So I, I think there's, there is a misconception that these people aren't people, that they're different in some way than you, than me, than average Joe Blow. They're somehow hardened that they're, they're diamonds and they can't be chipped at. And it's simply not the case. The rhetoric surrounding the, the negativity of police officers, it's having an effect. Um, we're seeing it in mass retiring. We're seeing it in you know, the suicide rates. We're seeing it in um, PTSD requests for retirements. It's affecting all of the morale. What is happening is we're finding less and less qualified individuals coming into those positions. So it's having, at least in law enforcement, I foresee it having a negative effect because of this misconception. The good guys, the guys who do it for the right reasons are no longer doing it. And then you're going to get a lot of these other people who are doing it for the wrong reasons, for power, to abuse somebody. They're going to be the only people who will even take the job. Until we can find a way to stop demonizing our vets, we've gotten away from demonizing our vets a lot in the last couple of decades, which has been great. But I mean, we, we still deal with uh, honorees and whatnot from the Vietnam era. And you should see sometimes when dealing with some of those guys, they've never had somebody, you know, really go out of their way to show them that their nation appreciates them. I think it really comes down to we've devalued those groups of individuals and we need to we need as, as, a, as a society to, to show them that they have value again and that they're not forgotten. There is help available and that we're willing to do what's needed to make sure that they matter and that they're okay. What do you think the biggest struggle is that they face with our first responders and our veterans? So uh, I don't, the biggest problem is difficult. I, I would say the inability for an individual in, I, in any of the fields to talk about mental health without the fear of repercussions. Mm. 
I think that would probably be, you know, if, for example, if some of these uh, vets, you know, when they were active, if they were to report, hey, I'm having these thoughts, they get their weapons taken away. And now they're mopping floors for the next six months while they have people give them shit. You know, they're, they're, they're viewed, pardon my language again. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're okay. There's this whole negative stigma around it. And I think we're doing a lot to get away from it, but there's still so much more to do. And, you know, we, we run into it within the police departments as well. You know, that was one of my biggest problems. I started to have problems and I avoided you know, I started, it started with nightmares and the nightmares made it so I couldn't sleep. And it got to the point where I was maybe sleeping an hour within a seven day period. And I began hallucinating. And so I, I went to my personal doctor and I'm like, look, this is what happened. This is the issues I'm having. You know, he's like, yeah, I read about it in the newspaper. This isn't good. You need help. We, you know, we need to get you the help. But I went to my private doctor because I didn't want the department to have access to my medical records because they could use that to have me found not fit for duty. And then my career is gone. That ultimately happened to me in, in my situation. But that isn't the necessarily, I mean, it's possible to help people before it gets to them. Not everybody's going to be the same. And we're still going to have people who are going to go out on a retirement in the, in the manner in which I did, who, who may not be able to recover. But there are also people, especially in complex PTSD situations where it's not one traumatic event, but it's a, a cumulative traumatic events over a period of time, I really feel that if we can help treat those individuals as they go, rather than waiting until they break, and then trying to put band-aids on them, we may find some, some better help, some better progress. I think. And what can we do as an average American citizen to help our first responders and veterans? How can we support them? What is the best way that you know how for us to do that? Well, I mean, there's, there, there is two ways to do it. A, uh, there's the political way, obviously, voting, making sure that you're voting in terms for individuals who are supportive of our law enforcement. And that gets very difficult, you know, when you start getting into politics. So I really can't, I don't really have much more recommendation of that. You just need to support the people who support our police, our fire, our veterans. Aside from that, get involved yourself. I mean, we all have time. The average person watches what three, four shows a week on Netflix. Five, you know. It, hey, I've been hey. watched Cobra Kai in one day. On well, how was it? I actually I, I saw a preview for that the other day. Was it all right? Have you been keeping up to date on Cobra Kai? No. Oh. <laughs> Are you no, a fan of saw- Karate Kid? I, yeah, I was when I was a kid. I mean, okay. I saw them it's up. very cheesy. It's very cheesy, but it is hilarious. You get to see Johnny's side of the story. I would recommend it because, but my husband laughs because the kids and I, it's like 12 episodes per season and we'll binge watch it in 24 hours, but it's not hard because they're like half hour, but I would recommend okay. it if you want some cheesy goodness. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's part of the downloading that everybody needs once in a while. You do need the downloading once in a while, but you know, as far as getting involved, if it's important to us, we'll make a sacrifice in order to do it. You know, um, maybe your sacrifice is missing an episode of Cobra Kai. You know? <laughs> maybe, maybe somebody else's sacrifices, you know, they, they don't get to name it, you know, whatever time you have to give up in order to get involved in somewhere else. But it comes down to priorities. What, what We have to make these things a priority. And it isn't going to be a priority to everybody, but what we, the best we can do is try to bring awareness to why it should be a priority. And the more we do that, the more we're going to see people helping with these organizations like, you know, Wildwoods Wilderness Retreat, Blue Help, Operation Enduring Warrior. I I know uh, F3, I've worked with F3. They're a good organization as well. You know, there's all of these organizations. F3 isn't a veteran organization, but they have a lot of veterans involved with it. It's, a, it's more of a leadership act, uh, exercise group. And they have, they're a men's group. They have a, a, a sister group as well. And the name escapes me right now. So please forgive me, guys. Sorry. That's okay. Somebody <laughs> else mentioned that in a podcast episode. And I can't remember who it was, but I'm pretty sure I put it in the show notes because I okay, do remember cool. hearing about F3 and then the women's side of it. But yeah, I yeah. can't remember what it is off the top of my head right now either. Get involved with some of these veterans organizations, some of these first responder organizations, because Jeremy is evident of the kind of people that you will meet through these organizations. And I have not met one loser yet in the bunch. (laughs) Some of us would call each other losers, but that's just the ribbon we give. The courage, I 
do not, and I have discussed this several times on several of my podcast episodes with several of my guests, and you would be included in that, Jeremy, is that you don't understand how a lot of us see you, how we're talking before about a mutual friend. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see how we see you. Yeah. Because I look at people like yourself, our first responders, our veterans, the things that that you've been through, the things that you experienced, how you go out and did what you did and face the danger every day. And how most of us, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. And for you at that time, it was no big deal. Or maybe it was, I don't know. But for most of you that I've spoken with, at the time, it was no big deal. Like, yeah, so I just, it was my job. Well, well I mean, Whatever. and what other choice did I have? I could have just laid down and died, but that wasn't an option. So <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, sometimes people don't realize that a lot of us are put in these situations and we never thought we would be either. So some people are like, oh, you have this altruistic or this, uh, you know, higher calling and whatnot. And a lot of us are just thrown into a situation and are just doing the best out of the worst case scenario. And I think what happens is as long as you're doing the right thing, we all know what the right thing is. I mean, it's, it's, I think there's an inherent, you know, call it God, call it a higher power, call it whatever you want. We know what the right thing is. And as long as you're doing the right thing over time, things will work in, in the right direction. And that's what I found with OEW. There are hard days still. There's, there's hard nights still. I, I still have flashbacks at time. You know, I still have nightmares. I still have, you know, sometimes I'm still startled and, you know, it, it gets bad sometimes. But now I have that light and we need to continue to make sure that light shines for all of our veterans, all of our first responders. That way we don't leave any of them in darkness. And how can we help OEW? And then I want you to tell the listeners about what you'll be doing in Alaska, because I think that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that as well. So if you want to, there's, there's a couple different ways to help out with. Obviously, the first way is monetary. Anytime anybody can help out monetarily, you know, it does cost money uh, in order to get these uh, veterans, first responders to some of these places. Our organization is 100% uh, volunteer ran. Uh, we have nobody receives a pension or nobody, or not a pension, I'm sorry, any sort of a payment. Um, so none of us are on the books. Eventually, I, I do need to say this for the comms person, I'm sure, so she doesn't yell at me. Eventually, you know, it's, it may get to the point where, uh, you know, we do need to bring on like a business manager or something because of our size, uh, but we're not at that point yet. You know, we're, you know, we are completely volunteers. So we need volunteers, guys. <laughs> That's the next thing we need. You know, you were asking how to get involved, how to make a difference. This is an exact way to, get, you know, pick up the phone, pick up, uh, you know, go on the internet, go to EnduringWarrior.org. Um, there's applications there to become an OCA, there's applications to become an honoree, and there's also an application to become a MAT team member. Get involved. I, I would say that would be the next step. And then uh, the, the final way is um, just make sure that the vets that you know are aware of what's going on. Obviously, we can't help somebody if we don't know about them. So if you know somebody who's hurting, please, 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 please let us know. We, we, we'd love to talk to them. We'd love to reach out. We'd love to show them that there is life after whatever injury or whatever pain they felt within their career field. Can you be anywhere in the country to volunteer then? Anywhere in the country. Absolutely. This year alone, I've been to Vegas. I've been to Utah, Florida. Uh, I'm sorry, 21. New year. But, I know. Uh, well, I'll be making Kentucky, that mistake for the first month. Right. Uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and these are all for you know, Louisiana. Went to a ruck in Louisiana, Ohio, twice or three times. We get there, and, and it's all for the honorees, and it's just amazing that all across the country. So we're bringing on. We, we try to keep it kind of close if we can. So, for example, you know, if we have an honoree in California, we'll try to send them to something in California, and unless they have something specific they want to go try somewhere else, you know, if if whatever they want to do is in D.C., we'll send them to D.C. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll do whatever the honoree wants to do. And, you know, our, we do have five programs. It's not just racing. We also have, like I said, the Warriors Voice. Skydiving is another one that's very Oh, wow. Familiar. Count me out. We're trying to get back into the scuba diving program. Uh, we're trying to get back into scuba diving. We have an adventure program. Our adventure program, Matt's, Matt's done our adventure program, Bradford, a few times. He told you about trying to climb Mount Rainier, I assume. 
No. No. I oh, think yeah, I need he, to do another podcast episode with him. Yeah, you, you might need to talk to Matt again. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, I think the bear the bear story actually relates to Mount Rainier. Okay. So the, you know he wanted to climb Mount Rainier, so OEW tried to they tried on a couple of different occasions to get him all the way to the top of Mount Rainier. Uh, and and the, remember the guy the guy is uh, blind and has no legs and like and he is a beast. That guy does not know the word quit. He's like I said, a role model, an inspiration, very very good. I would encourage everyone to follow him on Facebook because several times a week he will be posting what he's doing for workouts and wow. Yeah, that man does things in workouts that I can't do with all four of my legs. <laughs> he's an amazing man. Nothing. I, I think impossible. it's great. Right. It, no, no vision, no legs, no problem, yep. I think is what yep. it is. Yeah. Yep. I have a couple of his t-shirts. I should have had one of them on today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what will you be doing in Alaska then? So, um, with OAW, I, I told you earlier about uh, Matthew Schoolfield. He was one of our honorees who uh, was honored in uh, Las Vegas with Blue Help. I had the opportunity to meet Gwen Grimes and her husband, Nate Harbor. They head up Wildwoods Wilderness Retreat out of Alaska. They uh, specialize in taking vets and first responders to an, the Alaskan wilderness in order to teach them some survival skills, kind of connect back to nature. And in the process, they also you know, talk about their different experiences. Gwen was an injured police officer. Nate was, I believe, uh, Air Force. I believe Gwen's part of the bluehelp.org's peer support team as well. So they'll have a peer support aspect to their adventures as well. So at the end of May, we will be flying up to uh, rural Alaska. Uh, well, once we get to Fairbanks, we have to take another 40-minute flight or so by bush plane to land on a lake where we're going to be going into the middle of the woods and building a few cabins and setting the framework up for next year to be able to bring veterans and their significant others and first responders up to this retreat for a longer period of time than just a couple of days. So uh, we'll be up there from end of May through the end of September uh, for four months living in the wilderness while we build these uh, cabins. And, will you be in uh, tents? Uh, the first month will be in a tent. There's no facilities out there. So the first day when we get there, we got to build some bear caches. Uh, we have to build a floating dock. We have to build a kitchen area. We have to build a couple of uh, cellars. And then we start on the cabins. And we'll be building the cabins out of the surrounding wilderness. Uh, we don't have any way to get anything out there. So they're going to be built with the trees that we, we down right there. This is the real thing, Jeremy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm very excited. Um, like I said, uh, Glenn Grimes and, and Nate Harbor provided this opportunity through Wildwoods Wilderness Retreat. It is a volunteer thing that I'm going up there. Just I'm lucky I didn't have a I don't have a job that I'm relying on right now because of my pension, my retirement. So I'll have the time and I'm volunteering my time to go up there and I'm going to be there for four months. It'll be a great time. I'm excited. As long as I don't get eaten by a grizzly bear. Yes, please don't do that. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Our big eagle doesn't come down and swoops. And Although I, I do wonder if their ears are soft. I've never wondered. <laughs> I don't plan on getting close enough. Well, Jeremy, I always end every podcast episode with one question. What does America mean to you? That's a difficult one. Um, Why is that always such a hard question for people to answer? They, I get that a lot too. <laughs> it's, I think it's because it's, it's a very. It's personal. It is a very personal thing and it's a very reflective thing. And I want to say it's changed over time. I used to believe that we were a nation of laws and uh, equitability, I guess. There you go. Yeah. Uh, if, if that's a word, is that a word? I'm yes, I think so. If not, we just need <laughs> a word. It's okay. We'll put right, it in our exactly. dictionary. And, and I'm seeing less and less of, uh, I don't this isn't live, right? This is recording. <laughs> <laughs> this is recording. I can take out what you don't. Let me tell you something, Jeremy. Okay. Before you begin, I believe with every fiber of my being that America is the greatest country the world has ever known. I yeah, still absolutely. do. Are we I going really through crap right now? And is there crap right now? Absolutely. <sighs> do I agree with what's going on right now in a lot? No, but I have to have the faith that we are going to overcome this. Right. And hopefully we don't have to overcome it through the blood of tyrants again. Yeah, absolutely. 
I would agree with you. I, I think the United States has proven itself over the last 200 years, 220, yeah, 240 some odd years now. Yeah. They've proven that by treating people as an individual and showing respect and a live and let live kind of mentality is the most prosperous and allows the, the best life each of us could want. The moment we start trying to put our beliefs onto other people, you start removing someone else's rights. And I think that has been America's greatest strength is the recognition of each individual as an individual. And unfortunately, we're kind of going away from that right now, I fear. And I think we need to get back to individual and individual responsibility. And, and, I, and I do believe that there is hope for us to get back to that. Well, thank you for sharing your American story with us today, Jeremy. It means so much to me. Thank you. Very much, Tina. What a fantastic start to season four. I am beyond humbled to help bring to you the stories of Operation Enduring Warrior Honorees. A huge thank you to Jeremy for asking me to be a part of this endeavor and for taking on the opportunity as my first guest on season four. You can find Jeremy on Facebook at Jeremy Scarlow, as well as Instagram under the same name, where you will also find a GoFundMe link in his bio where you can donate to the Alaskan PTSD Wilderness Retreat Build. Such a fabulous cause. Purchase Jeremy's book, My Brother's Keeper, Relearning to Live with PTSD, on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. To support this podcast, subscribe, leave a rating and review, share with friends and family. Visit www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter. Finally, check out my new YouTube channel at We the People, Our American Story. Every week you will find new content from previous and current guests. My next guest is J.P. McMichael. J.P. was at the Pentagon on September 11, 2001, and this is only part of his story. We the People, Our American Story, the podcast for Americans who love America.